This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Okay, speaking of the division, on the Mullen Haw Show earlier this week on Monday morning, we spoke to Rick Spielman. You know Rick well. He is a former Vikings general manager. He does a lot of great work in the media now, working for the 33rd team and a podcast. And he's also just very um, visible. He's very vocal and he's very opinionated. So we began the conversation. It was about 20 minutes long, but there's three things I wanted to touch on. Obviously, we asked him about what he feels like and what the thinking is on Jalen Carter. Well, that's what, you, you know, if there, there was no character issue, the Chicago Bears be what, would not even have an opportunity unless they traded up to get a Jalen Carter-type talent. The question is, what, from an organizational standpoint, are they willing to say, yeah, we can handle this? And a lot of times when you're in those meetings, and Jalen Carter with, you know, all the things that have been documented, off the field and, you know, didn't have a great pro day and nine pounds overweight, everything that's been reported. But in your meetings, you have to decide as an organization, is his talent worth the risk? And if it's not, then you're not going to take him. But you have to make sure that that is all determined before you get on the clock at nine and that guy's staring at you in the face. Because there's no question to me, he, when he plays on the field, uh, and he plays hard, that he is the most dominant player at any position in this year's draft. It's just a question on how much in our building, how many resources do we have to devote to keep this player on the track? And you got 52 other players plus practice squad guys you're trying to take care of well. Or if we bring him into our building, what is the plan in place so we make sure he has the best chance to succeed? But you know, you're talking about a top 10 pick. You're talking about a three technique that's maybe one of the hardest positions to find. I know how critical it is in the Chicago Bears defense to have a dominant three technique. And if you hit on him, you're going to get a perennial pro bowler uh, in this player. But can you take that risk if he's not on the field for you, if he's having other issues that he has to deal with? Dan, you covered Rick Spielman in Minnesota. Did his response surprise you at all? No, it didn't surprise me. It looked like in February I had someone in the league tell me that that this is even before Jalen Carter went through the the legal stuff at the Combine and and beyond. It's before he went through his pro day, and the the, the adjectives that were used were high-maintenance and immature, and those were worries that teams had to keep an eye on. And so there's a lot to sift through here in terms of what you are, are, are trying to build inside your building and how you can go about motivating a player that may need some extra motivation, that may need some extra push. Um, that's going to be something that the Bears, that's a riddle they have to solve. And and I think Rick puts it well there that, like, the talent is undeniable. You put on the, the highlight video, and, and it's – eye-popping i mean it really is it's it, there there's a combination of of speed and power and everything else that is ideal for the position that he plays and now all of a sudden you've just got to figure out some other things and it's not it's not an easy job in that gm's chair to, to make that decision but ryan obviously has had to consider it for a while the other prospect we said gets a lot of attention and one of the more compelling figures in the first round of the draft 
Bijan Robinson. So I asked Rick about what the consensus would be for Bijan Robinson if he were running the draft room. Change. I remember my first draft in Minnesota, a uh, little different back then, uh, back in, I believe, 2006, 2007 draft, uh, Adrian Peterson was there. And there was no question we were going to take him because we thought he was a generational back, future Hall of Famer. And even though we had Chester Taylor, who had 1,000 yards rushing the previous year, that talent was just too good to pass up. And he was a game changer for us and won a lot of games for us. But the game has evolved since then. You see a lot more three-receiver sets, a lot more space. You have to be able to play in space. But when you watch Bijan Robinson, he is one of those unique backs that is going to help you win games, and he's going to score points for you, whether it's in the passing game, as a runner. Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he does in pass protection. But, you know, you look at Chicago Bears roster, and they lost Montgomery, but they went out and signed uh, Foreman uh, from Carolina. So is it more important for us to take a offensive lineman or this running back? And how is our offense set up? You know, now in Chicago, that may be a different conversation because when you get in November and December and you're playing in the weather that you have to play in in Chicago, and then all of a sudden the running game becomes extremely important. And a lot of times in that NFC North division, we knew we had to play outdoors in Green Bay outdoors in Chicago and those games that sometimes it's not going to be the best situation to pass the ball uh, with the condition. So Chicago probably has to understand, or they're talking about one, how they adjusted their offensive scheme to fit what Justin Fields has done. I think Ryan has done a phenomenal job getting some pieces around him this year at the skill position to help him out. Uh, but is it more important to continue to build the inter- or the uh, offense and defensive lines and go with what we got on how we're going to uh, build this roster? This roster, with the coaches I've been with, you know, it's always been kind of let's run the ball, let's control the clock, uh, let's play good defense, and that's how we're going to win games. So a lot of it depends on the philosophy of the coaching staff and the and, and the systems you're going to run. Very interesting stuff from Rick Spielman. Look, I, I sat in um, Minneapolis in, in 2012 when Adrian Peterson was the MVP of the league, ran for 800-plus yards in the month of December, you know, ch- supercharged that team with a Christian Ponder at quarterback into the playoffs. And so the idea that a running back can't be a, a difference maker, I know the game has changed in the last 10 years. Uh, we all know that that, that has changed. But I think what, what you hear from Rick there is an understanding of, like, the, the step one, acknowledge the talent acknowledge what the ceiling of that talent is. You know, Rick and, and George Payton have always used Adrian as the example of don't overthink it. There were questions, okay, he had a broken collarbone in college. Is he going to be injury prone, whatever? And, and they just got to draft night and they said, the dude is, is, is one of the best, if not the best talent that's in this draft. Let's take it and, and we'll, we'll never look back with regret. I think B. John Robinson's that same type of player. And now you just have to figure out whether those are the dice you want to roll. I just wonder too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I, uh, you know how I feel about the, the choice, potential choice of B. John Robinson. I, I went back, made a mistake, and I don't like to do this with back at somebody on Twitter the other day is <laughs> at Jim Sheffris, 
who made the comment, and he's welcome to tweet uh, Take the North as well, says, never under any circumstances draft a running back in the first round. This is in response to something I had said about Robinson. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it, but I would, wouldn't hate it either. He said, drafting one, of the top, drafting one in the top 10 is even worse. I don't care if Robinson ends up being a first ballot Hall of Famer. And to me, it's ludicrous to know that if you say that the guy's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I'm not going to draft him because the value of the position dictates otherwise, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Isn't that the purpose of the exercise is to find those guys in the draft? Correct. Correct. Particularly in a draft, which, as we've documented, batting averages are not very high. Even in round one, they're not very high, everyone. And so if you've got a home run staring at you and a guy throws you a meatball right down the middle of the plate and you say, eh, don't really want to swing at that one right now because I want to try to try to hit a slider uh, somewhere else. Like, I mean, get out of here, you know, and so like don't don't overcomplicate it when you don't have to. I don't think this is applicable in every single year and every single draft with the top running back. Bijan Robinson is different. That's what. Everyone in the league will tell you he is different. And also, by the way, he catches passes. You can yeah. play him in the slot. Right. He blocks. He does a hundred different things for you that can create matchups for you. Tariq Cohen, uh, during you know 2000s, I guess it would have been 17 and 18 when they found ways to to use him as a chess piece. Like they did things offensively because they had to account for this running back who had this this different set of skills. Bijan Robinson is is Tariq Cohen times 20. There are a wide variety and range of opinions, as exam as we can see in, in what Rick Spielman had to say about the offensive tackles. Now we talked to Brian Baldinger on the last podcast. He had uh, he had the Tennessee offensive tackle right, Darnell Wright, as the top-rated offensive tackle in this draft, the right tackle. I asked Rick Spielman about how he viewed the four offensive tackles considered to be first-round prospects. Peter Skaronsky is the most technically sound. Uh, he can do everything in the run game and uh, in pass protection. The biggest issue is the arm length. And, you know, when analytics are involved, you know, we found out that if an offensive tackle, for example, arm length was under 33 inches and he ran 5.25 or slower, there were eight guys that fit that category. None of the eight ever lived up to the grade we had on them. Uh, so you're, you're bringing in analytics to it as well. But is Peter Skaronsky the exception to the rule with his 32 and a quarter inch arm length? If not, like we talked about, you slide him into guard. Paris Johnson, to me, is the most, or I should say the safest, mm. because he started at right guard, then he moved out to left tackle, his wingspan is ridiculous. I was at his pro day at Ohio State, had a great pro day workout, was in great shape. He got better as the season went along. He can be physical and aggressive in the run game. He's athletic enough in space. In his pass protection, he has good enough left tackle feet to slide and mirror. He needs a lot of technical work, in my opinion, in pass pro, but I think he is probably the safest. Roderick Jones, to me, has the highest ceiling. He's the farthest behind those other guys as far as technique, and it's going to take him some time, but he may be the best left tackle athlete in this draft, but the farthest from getting ready to step on the field uh, right away. So you look at if we, we drafted Skaronsky. Yeah, he's going to be, in my opinion, a day one spar starter, either left tackle or inside a guard. Uh, you, you draft Paris Johnson. 
yes, he's going to be a day one starter at left tackle. You, you, you draft Broderick Jones, to me, he may not be ready day one, but at some point he's going to be ready to be a starter at left tackle, but he may have the highest ceiling out of all of them. Very interesting evaluation from Rick Spielman. Also, Dan, you have to consider Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, out in Arizona. Kyler Murray's telling his front office he would like to see him in Arizona. So all of a sudden, you're seeing mock drafts of Paris Johnson Jr. at number three. So we just there are all kinds of opinions out there, all kinds of speculation. But Rick has done this job before, so his evaluation of the football talent of those tackles was very interesting look as as uh he was talking there i was writing down some notes that summarize kind of kind of what rick's thoughts on these tackles are i wrote down skaronsky most solid most versatile safest paris johnson most promised broderick jones most development needed which probably isn't ideal if you're is not ideal if you're the bears because you're in a pivotal evaluation year with your quarterback and do you want to take on a project in front of them when you've got a couple other guys that are there and then obviously we've heard a lot of buzz recently about darnell wright and and obviously he's seems to project as strictly a right tackle, even though he has left tackle experience in college. Um, there's a lot of people that believe that that, that, that dude is a, a plug and play can't miss tackle there. So I think again, like we're going to learn a lot more about this draft class when the draft is over. And I'm going to be really interested to see how, how much the bears are willing to pull back the curtain and, and tell us about how they kind of size these guys up because there's been a lot of different, uh, talents and and potentials with all these guys. You know what they're going to say if they draft if they draft Broderick Jones, right? They're going to t- get to the podium. They're going to introduce Broderick Jones. They're going to say, "We're going to coach him up. We're going to coach him up because we have Chris Morgan, and we're going to coach him up because that's what we do here. We coach him up." And as a former longtime member of the Coach Him Up Club. I'm just going to scoff. I'm just going to shrug. They're going to give uh, Broderick Jones his number 73 jersey. He's going to hold it up, and they're going to say, hey, at least he doesn't have a screw in his ankle. (laughs) See, see, that's the bright side. You're looking at the bright side of things. (laughs) You are optimistic heading into this draft. Anything else, Dan? We covered a lot of ground. Anything else that we forgot? This is the last thing. Uh, You mentioned three players that were going to be compelling storylines on Thursday night, and they were B. John Robinson and Jalen Carter, and I'm going to add a third one. His name is Bryce Young, and he's going to be the number one overall picked by the Carolina Panthers using the pick that the Bears once owned for losing 14 games and going on a 10-game skid to end last year. You talk to people around the league about Bryce Young, the football player, and they poke zero holes in his game. Everything that they poke holes in with, with, with Bryce Young has to do with the scale and the measuring tape, right? How tall and how heavy he is and whether he can endure uh, this league. But my God, like this has got to be something that is kept under the magnifying glass in Chicago for the next few years, because the bears had the number one pick. The bears had the option of choosing a new, uh, a new trail with Bryce young, if so desired and chose that it was worth, as we said that they, they probably should staying the course with Justin Fields and seeing it through, but we can't lose sight of the fact that this kid as a potential uh, difference making quarterback seems to be the real deal as a playmaker. And now all the questions seem to, to revolve around his durability. I love that. That's, a, that's a actually very accurate. It's consistent with what you know. You hear when you talk to people around the league, and it's easy to overlook because this is really the Bryce Young draft. He will be the first overall. He, the Bears could have been in a position to take him. They didn't want to because they believe in Justin Fields. They made the trade, and he still will be the first overall pick, which makes him the most valuable 
member of this draft class from from the get-go. Yeah, I had an exec that I talked to that saw him play live in the fall and said that that initially when you're watching him, and particularly live, he's so composed that it's almost problematic to you as an evaluator because you're like, man, what like what are you doing? And then all of a sudden you realize that he's got almost like this sonar that that can feel the pressure coming. And then he slithers up and makes a, uh, you know, an off kilter throw, an off platform throw, and it's a completion and it's first down. And then they score on the drive. And then all of a sudden you, you realize that like his superpower is his slow heartbeat. His superpower is his composure. And it's what's going to give him a chance at the next level to take a, a, away some of the, the the physical wear and tear because you can move away from a big hit. <laughs> and live to see another day. And so I'm going to be fascinated to watch that kid play as a rookie, as a second-year player, as a third-year player, and see where his career goes. Because, again, he was the top quarterback in this class. He's probably going to go number one on Thursday night. The Bears own that number one pick. You very rarely have the chance to own that number one pick. And they they chose to, to take a different course. I think we, we supported them in that. But it doesn't mean that you, you, you suddenly eschew the responsibility of evaluating what could have been also. Good stuff, and I think we covered a lot of ground, and this is what we're going to do. Well, first of all, this is kind of an, a meeting on the pod. So <laughs> we're going to release this. People are going to download, listen, and subscribe. You can give us some feedback. You can check out the 670 Scores YouTube page and watch us. You can get this on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And on Thursday morning, we will release our projections of what the Bears or recommendations of what the Bears will do at number nine. And we'll each pick a guy or pick a lane or pick a, a trade down, but we'll pick a guy and Thursday morning we'll tell you why we think that makes sense to us based on our background. Studs can get involved and he can represent the Chicago sports fan. He can represent produce producers everywhere. He can represent whoever he wants to, just the Studzinski family, for goodness sake. But we'll come out Thursday morning and we will give you our Bears draft projection. That way you can have some fun before the draft as we count down to Thursday night. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay, great. So download, listen, subscribe. You can find us where you usually find us on your free Odyssey app. For Dan Weederer and Adam Sudzinski, I'm David Haw. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there. 